from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Let me echo the words of welcome. I'm Mark Mayette. I'm currently serving as elder on session here at First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta. Please join me in our call to worship. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Friends, let us pray. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a figure in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Beloved, hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ, and Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Forgiven, freed, and faithful people, let us worship God. Please turn with me in your pew Bible to Psalm 103, which may be found on page 523 in the Old Testament. Today's reading is verses 1 through 8, a little different from what's printed in your bulletin. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. From the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 12, on page 4 in your pew Bible in the New Testament section. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. 
Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we may be different people than those who came into this warm, sacred space. Even to be more like your son, the light of the world, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, not too long ago, my wife, Katie, planned a surprise party for me, marking the completion of five years being cancer-free. In honor of the five-year mark, Katie had secretly gathered together our family and some close friends so that when I came to a home thinking that I was picking Johnny up from a play date, I was actually walking into a celebration. As I crossed that threshold, I was immediately overcome with what I can only describe with one word, gratitude. Gratitude. Maybe you've had a moment like that without deciding to feel it, without thinking about it. You experience something that brings you gratitude. Your heart was full. You were at peace. In that moment at that particular party, I was grateful for the manifestations of God's grace in Katie and in our boys, in medical expertise, and in the family and friends that walked that hard road with us during that season. For some of us, when we think of gratitude, we think of it in terms of what I just described. We might think of it as a spontaneous emotion that comes upon us, that that emerges when we receive something that is undeserved or unexpected. A stranger goes out of their way to bless us. A beautiful sunset emerges against the backdrop of the mountains and and it catches our eye. A friend forgives us when we've caused them great pain. When we walk a daughter down the aisle to meet their new spouse, or a child says, I love you for no good reason at all. In these moments, gratitude blitzes us. Of course, not all gratitude is spontaneous. You know this to be true. Not all gratitude is an uncontrollable response to something that makes us thankful. Yes, gratitude is an emotion, 
but it's also a choice. Gratitude is also a choice. It's a choice that we can make. It is a choice that we can flesh out in our day-to-day lives. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to hear sermons on what it means to cultivate a living gratitude. What does it mean to cultivate a living gratitude? A gratitude that comes to life, not just in emotion, but as an act of our will, as we choose to act gratefully each and every day, even when the emotions aren't there. And so in this first installment, the invitation is this, that we would consider to make it a routine, that we would consider to make it a habit a practice to name our blessings. An invitation to consider what it would look like for you and for me each and every day to name our blessings. So this sermon is organized under that theme and it's organized around two points I'd like to make about this daily practice of naming our blessings. First, we name our blessings Not as a way to get something, but as a way to give something. We name our blessings first as not as a way to get something, but as a way to give something. And second, we name our blessings as a protest against the myth of the self-made person and as a way to tell the truth about our deep need for God. So first, we name our blessings not as a way to get something, but to actually give something. And and here's what I'm aiming at. There are thousands upon thousands of articles and, and books and blog posts that will champion the social and the emotional and even the spiritual benefits of cultivating gratitude in your life. Apparently, the science reflects this. Apparently, gratitude is good for you. We're told that that, that we should be grateful because it will lift our countenance. It'll make us feel more happy. We should be grateful because we're going to get something out of it. Robert Emmons is considered by some to be the world's leading scientific expert on gratitude. He's a professor of psychology at the University of California, Davis, and his approach to the notion of gratitude is exceedingly self-interested and pragmatic. His projects and his academic insight focuses our attention on how gratitude works for you, how it works, how it will increase your contentment levels, how it will give you more energy, how maybe it will give you even a better night of sleep. You should be grateful because it's good for you. It's good for your health. Like much of the self-help genre, Dr. Emmons starting point is rooted in the most dominant question of Western individualism, what's in it for me? And so some might approach gratitude with these kinds of questions. How will gratitude work for me? If I, if I cultivate a gr- grateful life, what will I get out of it? Now let me be clear, self-interested questions are not always inappropriate, but when it comes to cultivating a life of gratitude or naming our blessings in a regular way, might I suggest that we not approach it from the perspective of what's in it for me? What's in it for me? While I want each and every one of us to find contentment and energy, and while I do hope that everyone enjoys a solid night of sleep, 
Naming our blessings is not a pragmatic or self-interested exercise. Friends, naming our blessings is a theological one. It's a theological practice. Naming our blessings as an act of gratitude is done not for the sake of getting something out of it, of getting something that we want, but rather for the sake of giving something away. For when we name our blessings, we give something away. We give away any inkling that we are the sole creator of the blessings that we experience. We give that away when we name the blessings that God has poured out into our lives. What we also give away is our allegiance to the one who is the source of all our blessings. When we name our blessings as gifts from a gracious God, we give our allegiance to this God. It's what the psalmist in Psalm 103 is doing. The psalmist is completely aware of God's benefits in his life. He acknowledges that God is the source of all blessings. He writes with a a sort of intoxication about the goodness and the grace of God. Says, bless the Lord. He, He calls himself to worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits. The word we translate to the English word benefits is the Hebrew word gemul, and it means dealings. It it means that that you're going to deal with something. It's used to describe how God is going to deal with someone or how God is going to deal with a particular situation. And it's majority use throughout the Old Testament. The word is often understood in terms of God dealing in vengeance of God dealing in vengeance, that God's gonna deal with this particular disobedience, that God is gonna deal with this particular problem by dealing out, by doling out vengeance. But here there's a shift, there is a surprise to the reader for what God is dealing with and what God is dealing out are the benefits of God's grace. The psalmist names them as forgiveness, names them as healing, names them as redemption and justice and love and mercy, that is what God is dealing out. All of these wonderful benefits, all of these wonderful gifts, and the psalmist is begging himself to remember the good that God has poured out, these undeserved and unexpected gifts that propel the psalmist to worship and praise God. The psalmist gives something away in that moment. The psalmist gives themselves away to the source of all blessing, to the source of every good gift that that this God has given. This brings me to the second point. When we name our blessings, not to give, but not to get, get rather, but to give. When we name our blessings, not to get, but to give, to give ourselves away to the giver of all, we also protest one of the most dominant myths of contemporary society, the myth of the self-made person. Now, as many of you know, and some of you know this more intimately because I was on your Facebook pages last night, Taylor Swift's 1989 world tour was in town. (laughs) This very expensive, very hyped tour packed the Georgia Dome. I heard it was about 56,000 people paying very high prices to see Taylor Swift. Now, make no mistake, people want to hear T-Swift. They, they want to they see her in concert. 
They want to hear her music. They want to experience her creativity. They want to hear her sound. They want to be close to her vibe, right? It's about her. Her name is on the tour bus. Her name is on the ticket. But, and this is obvious, she didn't put this little party together for 56,000 people all by herself, right? There are managers and agents. There are promoters. There are set designers. There are set builders. There are audio engineers. There are lighting engineers. There are uh, uh, stadium workers. There are concession workers. There's her band. There are choreographers. There are makeup artists. There are roadies. There are so many people that, that put something into making something like that happen, unless we forget the 56,000 people who show up for the thing, because without them, there is no concert. It takes thousands upon thousands of people to pull this massive event off. Now, the illustration is simple, but it helps focus us on a larger point that I think is a little more complex. No one gets to where they are by themselves. No one gets to where they are by themselves. Our name may be on the tour bus. Our name may be on the deed to the house. Our name may be on the diploma. Our name may be on the sports roster. Our name may be etched in the office window. But we didn't get there by ourselves. This is the myth of the self-made person. That through individual talent and hard work, you can make yourself. You can succeed. You can arrive. Today, it's not just theologians that are calling this myth into question. Some social theorists and economists, for example, and this is just one way it's being called into question among many, they've been quick to point out that when it comes to upward mobility, talent and hard work are simply not enough today. Talent and hard work are not enough People don't make themselves by themselves. Advantages that come to those via the transfer of wealth from one generation to another or advantages that come with a higher quality of education against another, these put people above. They give them a head start. They give them a leg up. The well-traveled idiom, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, has been countered by the fact that some folks aren't wearing any boots. Even so, friends, have you ever tried to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or your shoelaces? I mean, this is kind of an aside, but interesting. According to some accounts, this phrase, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, it was coined in 1834, and it was coined to talk about, now get this, to talk about something deemed to be impossible because you know you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps or your shoelaces. So somewhere along the line, this idiom, this maxim, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, was used to talk about something that was impossible and is now used to talk about being self-reliant or a self-made person. From the gospel's perspective, the self-reliant and self-made person naively contends that they have no need of God. The friend of God and the follower of Christ however, protests this myth every time they name the benefits of God. Every time we say, thank you, God, for the gracious gifts you have poured out into my life, every time we do that, we subvert this myth and we recognize that we are not here by ourselves. 
that we have not made this life all on our own. When Jesus taught what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the first words he uttered were these, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be blessed, the Greek word is makarios, to be blessed is to receive the benefits of God. To be poor in spirit means to be either physically or spiritually vulnerable. To be poor in spirit means to be in a place where you are physically or spiritually vulnerable or you recognize your need, you recognize your dependence upon God. The opening lines of the fifth chapter of Matthew actually usurp our conventional understanding of what God's blessing looks like. And I'll close with this. One person says to another, you have such a lovely home. You've heard this before? Said this before? You have such a lovely home. And you hear in response, maybe you say in response, yes, we have been really blessed. We've been really blessed or or we're fortunate. And we use the word fortunate as a synonym of, of blessing. We say things like, I want my kids to see how fortunate or blessed they are I didn't know how blessed I was until I went on that mission trip and I spent time with the less fortunate. Now, literally speaking, someone may have been entrusted with less of a fortune than you, making them less fortunate. But to equate this concept to the notion of blessing or God's favor is a dangerous move. Let me be clear, there is nothing wrong with having a lovely home There's nothing wrong with being entrusted to a great amount of wealth, but friends, let's not call that a blessing. Let's not call that a blessing. It may produce a blessing. It may produce a blessing if stewarded into the mission of God and into the vocation that God has put on your heart and in your life, but it is not a sign of God's favor. Nor is poverty a sign of God's disapproval. I mean, just look at the words in Matthew 5, 1 through 11. And what Jesus says is the blessed life. It comes into focus not as positions of acclaim or or power or financial stability or even strength. But everything that Jesus says is blessed comes from a position or perspective of vulnerability. It comes from a perspective of need. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those that hunger and thirst to do what is right, the peacemaker, the pure in heart, the merciful, the persecuted and reviled, these are the ones that Jesus calls blessed. Not the self-reliant and not the self-assured. And so friends, when we name our blessings, We name them not to get something out of it, but to give something. We name our blessings to give our allegiance and ourselves to the source of every good gift. When we name our blessings, we do it as a protest against the myth of the self-made person. And we do it by taking a posture of vulnerability and we submit ourselves to God. And we say to God, God, I need you. I need you. Are you willing to say that? May we find the words for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world. Amen.
gracious creator, you have laced our life with blessings. As we present these offerings, we also tender our lives. Make us your bold and faithful people, willing to go forward in faith wherever you would lead us, that we might be a comfort in the world. We pray in the name of Jesus, by the gift of your empowering spirit. Amen. of Christ, which goes beyond all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in him. May his peace live inside of you this day and every day of your life. <laughs> 